0: Now, I'm going to take you in your Bible to Judges, the middle of the book of Judges in your Old Testament. I'm going to share with you a bit of a story about a guy there that has captured my heart for years, and then we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about a similar kind of story, at least a similar kind of dynamic, in the New Testament where Jesus was was with his disciples. But before I do all that, let me just make a couple statements. Um, So far in this message series, the feedback we've gotten from you on your Connect cards, the incidental stuff that you've spoken in my ear in the hallway or out in the lobby or the emails that you've sent um, have been pretty powerful. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you for leaning in as a congregation on this. Today I want to talk with a group of folks um, who if you haven't been there yet um, in some ways you're, you're, you're fortunate. Um, it's a group of people who often have been walking with the Lord for a while and we come to to a dark period spiritually. Uh, it's not a dark period that's directly the result of some mistake we've made necessarily although it could be Not necessarily a direct result of act of sin in our life or or just the experiences we have. It's, It's a deeper, almost an emotional, but truly a spiritual dynamic where we experience what the Bible describes as doubt, as doubt. So the Christian life is about faith, faith in Jesus, the trust we put in Him. And doubt is kind of that equal but opposite emotion sometimes, at least the way we experience it. That pulls us in the other direction where the things that we hold dear, the things we value, often the things we even know to be true, they don't have quite the hold on us that they once did. They don't give us that confidence and assurance that we once had. There's all kinds of doubt. There's self doubt. There's spiritual doubt. There's doubts related to what the future holds. There's relational doubt often. With all that said, let let, let me start with the basic assumption. I'm so glad. That God doesn't see me the way I see me. I'm so glad that God has the ability to pierce through my emotions, my experiences, my behavior, and He can see me perfectly. Because sometimes that's very difficult for me to do. It's very difficult for me to see you perfectly. I mean, I see patterns of behavior. I see words you speak. I see the way you tend to make yourself up and present yourself to me. But I, I, I can't see the inside of you, the real you. Over time, maybe I get a glimpse, but, but God can see the real you. And when it comes to doubt, this is something that you and I have to keep in mind, that God can see the real us all the way down deep. And when you grab hold of that, there are two almost contradictory emotions or realities we have to struggle with the first one is this oh yes he sees the real me the desires i have not necessarily the way i'm able to live them out certainly not what other people say about me but the the real me down deep that i really want to be that's an encouraging safe emotion to have and it's true when we consider that god sees the real us here's the other emotion though it's oh oh my he sees the real me I mean, the part that nobody else sees, the part of me that is alive when nobody else is looking, the part that struggles with stuff really down deep, well, he does. But when God sees the real you, no matter what you think about that, it's actually a very positive thing. And it becomes a part of us managing our doubt under the umbrella of our faith. Now, this managing our doubt under the umbrella of faith... This is exactly what the guy in the Bible that we're going to talk about today had to do. His name is Gideon. And Gideon shows up at a time in Israel's history before a king. And things were really rough in Israel. They would have a cycle of, of experiences where things were pretty good, but it never was lasting. It never lasted more than about 30, 40 years. As long as there was a strong central leader, it lasted. When that leader's reign was over, they passed away, there was a period of darkness in the land of Israel. And then things were tough. It's part of the reason why they craved a king to bring a certain amount of stability politically and economically to the land. When Gideon was alive, there were a group of people called the Midianites who would come into Israel's land and they would steal their food, their women. Um, it, was, it was a bad time. And we find Gideon, we find Gideon terrified and afraid and doubtful. And I want to pick up his story in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Here's what the Bible tells us there the angel of the Lord, by the way, the word angel in our Bible means messenger. So the messenger of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah, not Oprah, Oprah, uh, Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the right, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. little word picture here. Wine presses are dug into the ground, a bit of a pit. That's where they would put the grapes and they would stomp on them and little troughs would carry the, the juice away and they would gather that and they would turn to wine. They'd drink it. little impressed. Often there was a bit of a mound put up and then they would dig in and do that. So, so what we get here is we get Gideon and he's threshing wheat, which you would typically do out in the open field where the wind could come. And he's throwing up a little bit of wheat in this smaller area of a wine press because he doesn't want anybody to see him. He doesn't want the Midianites to see that he has wheat because if they see it, they're going to come and take it. So he's finding himself threshing wheat in a wine press. In other words, the world is upside down for him right now. All right? So he's threshing wheat. Verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, <clears throat> remember I just said he's terrified and afraid in the wine press? And the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, that brings a message to Gideon and says, Um... God's with you mighty warrior. I'm so glad that God sees you the way you really are. I'm so glad that God doesn't see you only as you see yourself as other people see you doesn't see me as you see me even as my wife who loves me sees me God sees me the way I really am and this is exactly the experience Gideon's about to go through. He's about to learn just how much God thinks about him and exactly what God's opinion about him really is, because when the angel of the Lord encounters Gideon, Gideon is terrified and afraid, and he's hiding in a wine press, threshing just enough wheat to make it for him and his family through the day, terrified he's going to be discovered, and the angel of the Lord comes and gives him a very contradictory message than the message he's experiencing in life. The message in life is, be afraid. Be terrified. Don't be bold don't press in, hide in a wine press, life upside down. But the angel of the Lord comes and says, you're a mighty warrior. You're a mighty warrior. Now that's, that's a bit interesting. So Gideon speaks up and he says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now we're in a church that values your ability to tell the truth. In fact, I don't like it when people put on spiritual facades. I try not to do that myself. So let me just ask you. Don't raise your hand. You don't have to do that here. But you ever been in a place in life where you looked to God? You said, hey, 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 all this good stuff I've heard about you, uh, all the songs you sing about you being with us, if that's true, well, why, why is this going on? I mean, if it's really true, why are we here? How, how, did, we, how did we get here? See, that is the expression of this doubt thing that we're talking about today. We're just going to take it, put it on the table, look at it objectively as best we can and see what we can learn from it. Gideon is about to go through a spiritual experience, several of them, and God's going to teach him something about himself. God's going to teach Gideon about Gideon. God's going to teach Gideon about God. And God's going to teach Gideon about the gap that we experience in our faith from time to time. It's going to be a powerful lesson, and we get the benefit of reading the story and getting the impact in our own lives. So getting replied, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? I mean, they had this heritage of Moses and the stories and the, and the miracles and God showing up, and they longed for that to happen in their day. They longed for God to show up and take care of things for them. But now the Lord has... I love the honesty of God's word. The Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, now it's the messenger of the Lord, but it's the words of the Lord. The Lord turns to him and says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then Gideon Mighty man of faith and power. Verse fifteen says, "But Lord, so God, mighty man of warrior, but Lord, my, my, mighty man and warrior, but Lord." And then in verse fifteen, "But Lord," Gideon asked, "How can I save Israel?" I love this. I love. This. I love his excuses. He says, "My clan, my group, we're the weakest in all of our land of Manasseh. <laughs> and beyond us being the weakest, I'm the weakest in the weakest. I'm the least in my family." The Lord answered, "I'll be with you." and will strike down all the Midianites together. This begins the saga of Gideon that last three or four chapters in your Bible where he is going to learn how to live a life of faith in the middle of perplexing doubt. Mighty man of warrior. I am not a mighty man of warrior right now in the wine press, threshing wheat, world upside down. Go in the strength you have, but, but, but Lord... <clears throat> I, I, strength I have, do you not see me? And Gideon begins from that place. You can go in your Bible this afternoon, this week, and, and read this incredible story. He, go, he begins at that place, and God begins to work in his life. God does incredible things through him. That's important. But for our purposes today, God does incredible things in him. For God is teaching him. How to manage that gap between what we feel, see, think about our relationship with God, about ourselves, about God himself and his character, and this umbrella of the life of faith that we're all to be living under. So it's all great until you have family problems. It's all great until the money stuff kicks in. It's all great until there's a physical thing that you can't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and walk through it and just keep going and... When we go through those kinds of experiences, it makes us ask the very questions Gideon asked. Where's God in the middle of this? What, What am I to do? How do I manage this? I want to give you one basic reality here, and then we'll unpack a little bit more. That's God's primary message to doubters, like Gideon and like the guy on the stage talking to you right now. Here it is. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. The primary way to manage the doubt that you're going to experience if you haven't already, the primary way to live under the umbrella of faith, even with perplexing doubt, self-doubt, relational doubt, faith doubt, doubt about God and his character, doubt about whether or not God's with you, is begin to wrap your mind around this basic truth. God has said over and over and over again that when we are in him and he's in us and we're, we're his child, that he'll be with us. And that reality about God being with us is the building, the, the, the foundational building block on which we can begin to manage this tension called doubt. Do you, remember, do you remember when Jesus is being talked about before he comes to the earth and the prophets are talking about what Jesus is going to be and what he's going to do? In one of those prophets, Jesus says that the, uh, the prophet predicts that when Jesus comes, when this Messiah comes, his name is going to be his description, his role will be, his title will be Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, the whole reason Jesus came was to make this truth that we're trying to unpack its implications on today more crystal clear for us than ever before. Not God is with us in some general sense, but in the person of Jesus, God literally came and lived with us. And he experienced all that we experienced betrayal frustration hurt pain being falsely accused disappointment And he lived all of that in all that tension of life and how it impacts and he was really really with us so the writer of hebrews says we have this high priest who is touched who is touched by what we're touched by who feels what we feel who went through all of it yet In him, it never led to sin. There's the bit of the challenge. We have real doubt, and and I'm going to tell you right now, doubt's not the worst thing in the world. It's painful, it's difficult, but it's normal. And by the time we get done here in just a few minutes, you're going to have a category for understanding doubt that maybe you haven't had before. But when Jesus experienced all the things that would potentially lead him to that very dark place that doubt can go to, he was able to do it without being completely ensnared. And and that's the challenge. The challenge is not to avoid the dynamics that produce doubt. The challenge is not to have questions from time to time that sound like doubt. The question is not even whether or not we are allowed to doubt. The question is, is are we going to get ensnared by doubt in a way that keeps us from enjoying and living under that banner, that umbrella of faith that God has offered us? So I'm going to give you what I believe to be the essential tool that we can use to manage doubt. Before I do that, I want to talk to you about five quick realities about doubt, just just to kind of help you understand that you don't need to beat yourself up today if you're experiencing some doubt. You don't. And you don't need to rush to get rid of it. And you certainly don't need to slap a few Christian phrases over top of your doubt so that it appears as if you have great faith, as if you're trying to convince me or somebody else that you have great faith. But often we do that because we're really trying to convince ourselves that our faith is strong. So here's some realities about doubt. It's very easy to have doubt when you're on the mountaintops of life. But it's pretty normal to doubt when you're in the valley. The New Testament example of this story that Gideon is going to go through that we're going to talk about from time to time over the next couple of minutes is, is in Mark chapter 9. We're not going to read it. Please, you're welcome to go there on your own. It's Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples have just come through the most incredible spiritual experience they've ever had. Jesus has been on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, his three closest apostles, his three buddies. Everything special in Jesus' life happened with those guys around them. And Jesus has what the Bible describes to us this way, a transfiguration experience. It's the weirdest, most woo moment in the New Testament until you get to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is on the mountain, and they're just talking. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to glow like light coming out of him. So you know you're not in Kansas anymore when that happens, all right? And then, and then it gets really strange in the New Testament. I mean, this is like uber spiritual experience. The Bible says that Jesus is there, Peter, James, and John are there, and then the Bible says that Moses, who's been dead for a long time, Moses shows up, and Elijah shows up, and Jesus and Moses and Elijah have this conversation. Jesus the Messiah, Moses the greatest teacher, leader of Israel, and Elijah the greatest prophet of Israel. They're having this, this, it's like all the heroes in one room, And Peter, James, and John are just looking at each other going, oh my goodness, I want to hear what they're saying, and they're just, it's the strangest, it's so powerful that Peter, who often talks first, and he's usually wrong, but he speaks up, he says, this is such a good day, here's what we need to do. We need to build three altars to memorialize this moment, because we don't want to lose and forget this. And Jesus is like, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said, Peter. And they start walking down the mountain together, all right? Greatest spiritual moment of their lives. In the very next moment in Mark chapter 9, they encounter one of the weirdest equal but opposite moments. I mean, in close proximity, high and low, there's a man whose son is like, well, well he has demonic influence in his life and it's causing all kinds of challenges. So we have highest spiritual reality, lowest spiritual reality in close, within a few verses of each other and 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 this father who cares deeply for his son who's going through this stuff says to the disciples hey we've heard about jesus can you guys help us and they're like sure we got this this is no problem we just have had the highest experience we could ever have so they do their little whatever they do pray whatever say their little stuff over the boy (laughs) and nothing happens nothing the boy is the same as he was before they started talking And it produces in them a certain amount of self-questioning. Jesus shows up on the scene. And he says to them, here's the problem. There's not enough, here's our word, there's not enough faith here. There's not enough faith here. There's something else going on. So he looks at the father. And the father speaks to to Jesus, who's caring about his son. And the father says this important phrase. And it's going to be a phrase for all doubters in the room today, all right? The The father says, to Jesus, if you will, you can do this if you want to. You can do, I know you. You can do this if you want to. And Jesus says, if I, if I want to? If I want to do it? And he looks at the father and says, basically, you know, do you believe I can for real? And the father says, I believe, Jesus. But would you help my unbelief? I believe but would you help my unbelief? See, that, that's, the, that's the life verse of everybody who struggles with doubt. I believe, yeah, I believe you can. I just don't know if you will. I believe you're able. I've seen you do it for others, but right now where I am, I'm not sure if I can grab hold of the reality. I'm not sure if you even want to. I don't know what you want to do. I, yes, I believe. But then it's that very honest, would you help my unbelief? It's very, very easy on the mountaintops when everything's going well to have great faith. And you're making the sales you need to make. Things at work are going fine. and Health reports good. But you come in the valley, and the reality is, is yes, we believe, but we also have this unbelief. Here's the second thing you don't understand about doubt before we even talk about how to manage it. Doubt's a, si- a sign, and I don't want to press this too hard, but doubt's a sign that there's a signal strength issue in your relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm not saying it's even a problem. I'm just saying that the lines of communication between God and his character imposing itself on your life and you being open to that is like a signal strength problem. I I make a trip a lot between here and Chattanooga, Tennessee. And on occasion, you know, on that trip, you pass through some mountain ranges. My phone is working fine. My wife's phone is working fine. There's not a single problem between her phone and my phone. But there are moments on that trip where the signal strength is is hampered. And we can't communicate as well. And what she's trying to say to me, I get bits and pieces of it. Have you ever done that with your phones? That's what doubt is like. It's not that there is a problem so much as there is a signal strength. Number three, my personal doubts, if they get a deep hold in my life, they... They limit my ability to experience God's power. And here's the good news about faith. Jesus only requires a little bit of it. He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is very, very, very small. I'm doing this right here in all your heads. I feel like I could squish them right there. there. Um, Very, very small seed. That's all that's required. With that kind of faith, you can do anything. So it's not so much the amount of faith. And finally, the essential tool for overcoming doubt, and here's where we're going to park ourselves for a while. It's personal prayer. Now, friends, every time I give, I'm just telling you my experience here at this church in 10 years now. Every time I give a response to a real challenge we're facing with something that you already generally know to be true, but you're just not living up to that reality, there's a disconnect that happens in the room. I'm going to talk with you about the power of your personal prayer in combating doubt in your own life. And because we talk about prayer, because we have done some prayer, because it's been such a common discussion in Christian churches, it often, when those kinds of dynamics happen, it often, something like prayer loses its powerful punch in our lives. And yet you don't have a greater tool in your arsenal for combating personal doubt and keeping it from becoming the trap that ensnares you than your personal prayer. That is your personal reaching up to God and just talking to Him. Just talking to God about what's going on in your life. Talking to God intentionally. Carving out time to say, this is what's bothering me, God. Putting words around the challenges. God, this is what I think right here, right now. It's what Gideon was doing when he was talking to the messenger of the Lord. I hear you, mighty man, a warrior. <clears throat> but, 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 but I'm from a small clan. And I'm the weakest in the clan. God's gonna use you. But, 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 but where has he been lately? Gideon is putting into words to God, in this case, God's messenger, putting into words to God the very challenges he's struggling with. And he opens up, and here's here it is: he opens up a dialogue between him and God in the middle of his doubt. The Father, in Mark chapter 9, opens up a dialogue between him and Jesus in the middle of his doubt. Of course I believe you, but, 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 but would you help my unbelief? And he states the tension. He quantifies the challenge in his own words. And this is why prayer is so powerful. It isn't that God needs you to explain to him anything. It's that you have, you and I have to walk through the challenge of being honest with where we are with our Heavenly Father. So personal prayer, what I mean by that is prayers you pray. It's, when you write your prayer requests on your Connect cards, we pray for this. It's not unusual for me to take them and every day spend a few moments in prayer for each, you know, I divide them up and, and, and I go through each one. So I don't, I don't like pray for them all every day, but... Throughout the week, I'm hitting them all on a deeper level. That's that's a pretty normal thing for me to do. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm not talking about asking your friend to pray for you or your pastor, although if you ask me, I will try to remember. If you don't see me writing it down or you don't put it on your Connect card, it was good intentions. Honestly, sometimes I forget. So that's why we use the Connect card. But I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about outsourcing your prayer. I'm talking about you spending time with God. Let me give you very quickly some of the power of prayer. See, number one, when difficult circumstances cause me to doubt, here's what my prayers do. My prayers have the way of releasing God's power in my life. And I have found that power shows up in two ways when I pray. Sometimes when I pray, God changes my circumstances. And I love that. I love it when I pray about a problem I'm having. Zap, quickly over time, but in a relatively short period, boom, it changes. I'm feeling some pressure, there's their solution. That's awesome. But most of the time, God's power is released when I pray in another way, if it changes me. That's cool too. It's not quite as cool, but it's cool when God begins to change my perspective about the challenge that I'm experiencing. And so, so not so much that my circumstance itself changes, but I'm different in the middle of my circumstance, and I find in me being different, more like Christ, I'm able to manage the circumstance and the emotions of the circumstance, and the doubt of the circumstance, better. So when I'm going through difficult circumstances, and I know some of you are right now, here's what prayer can do for you. It can release power of God in your life, often in your life, not even so much around your life, although that happens too. Here's another thing that that prayer can do. When intellectual arguments cause me to doubt, My prayers remind me of God's presence. In that episode with the father and the boy that the disciples couldn't touch, in Mark chapter 9, it tells us, Mark chapter 9, verse 14, that around that drama that was playing out when the disciples couldn't do anything, some teachers of the law had gotten together, and they were arguing with the disciples about what to do. They were having theological and philosophical discussions about how to manage a challenge nobody could fix. There were doubts and intellectual stuff. Listen, there are legitimate intellectual questions that you're going to have from time to time related to your faith. That's okay. Sometimes that produces some doubt. Remember, doubt's not the worst thing in the world. It's okay. But the way we combat that is not simply with stronger intellectual arguments. It's with the profound sense of God's presence in our life. I'm not saying we don't need to engage the intellectual argument. We do. There are incredible resources available to help you do that. There are friends and books you can read. But at the end of the day, what helps us get through those isn't simply stronger philosophical arguments. It's a sense of God's active presence in our life, that God's there with us in the middle of it. I've never known an atheist to be convinced one time because the argument opposing their opinion was sound and convincing. But I've seen hard hearts soften as people begin to realize that God is there in the middle of their stuff. So sometimes it's because we're facing difficult circumstances, and sometimes it's because we're facing intellectual arguments. But the third way I think that prayer helps us is is that when we face imperfect Christians and that causes us to doubt, prayer helps me to look past them and to see Jesus instead. You ever get you ever experience some faith challenges because you dealt with people of faith? Those of you that have had bad church experiences that opened the door for you to maybe show up here, part of the challenge was is that you were around Christians and you never expected them to act that way, and they did, and it rocked you. Okay, that's normal. It's not bad. How do you get past it? How do you get past it when somebody who is a person of faith, shares your faith, should not have done the thing, said the thing, acted outside the bounds, how do you get past it? We can't change them always, can we? Trust me from a guy who keeps trying. It doesn't work. Let me tell you what does work prayer. And a specific kind of prayer where we are able to see past the person to the person we should be looking at anyway. That person is Jesus. In Mark chapter 9, chapter nine verse 18, the Father says to Jesus, I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. I'm disappointed in them, they didn't have the ability. Finally, he's talking to the right person, though. He's talking to Jesus. In Hebrews, the writer says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, squinting its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's that first phrase, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's what prayer helps me to do. It helps me get past you. It helps me get past my kids when they disappoint me. It helps me get past my wife. Most of all, it helps me get past me. And I begin to see Jesus clearer. And that has a profound impact on the way I experience doubt and faith. I will disappoint you. The person you're sitting next to will, if they haven't already, disappoint you. And that's why we have to regularly, in prayer, refocus on Jesus. This is how people can hold on to some semblance of life when their deepest relationships are crumbling around them. We can't fix other people. We can fix our eyes on Jesus. And that can make a profound difference in our life. Sometimes it's difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's intellectual arguments. Sometimes it's imperfect Christians that cause us to doubt. Number four, sometimes it's spiritual dryness that causes us to doubt. But in those moments, prayer helps me to hear God's voice. I want to make something kind of plain to you. It's usually our feelings that have judged God to be missing in our lives, at those moments. And our feelings can never override, however, the word of God. Remember I said to you last week, if you were here, if not, you can watch it online, that your feelings don't think? And feelings don't trump God's word. God said, "I will never leave you nor forsake you. never." That means that when you think he's inactive and not present, what's really going on is we don't see his activity or feel his presence. Prayer helps us to change some of that. Over time, going to him, talking, being honest, keeping the conversation going. I know in my counseling experience with couples that the challenge is not so much when they're arguing. That's actually a good sign. It means both people are still trying. You want to know when you know it's bad? It's when they quit talking and one of them sits there with their arms closed and they're done. They just haven't declared they're done yet. And so in a relationship with God, we keep it moving by engaging him in prayer. Sometimes it's difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's intellectual arguments. Sometimes it's people in the church, people of faith. Sometimes it's spiritual dryness. And number five, sometimes... It's a recurring sin issue in our lives. The truth is, is sin impacts our faith. And so if we're struggling with sin, deep sin, hidden sin, private sin, one moment sins, perpetual problems or incidental things, prayer helps us experience God's grace. Look at how Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 7, bleeding into into chapter 8. He says, I want to do what's good, but I don't. I want to do... I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. What a miserable man I am when I think about that, he writes. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And he keeps talking and going to the Lord. And that thing becomes the life force in the middle of his doubt so that the doubt doesn't have a stranglehold on him. Mark chapter 9, verse 22, back to that story of the Father and Jesus. Have mercy on us and help us if you can, the Father says. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. In the middle of our doubt, we can acknowledge right where we are and find the source, and we can go to a God who's already there and start talking to him. This is why prayer is powerful. What this means is if you don't have an active prayer life, I don't need you to do it for me. I don't get any brownie points with God by getting you to pray. And I can't pray enough for you to compensate for your personal prayers, although I'll pray for you as much as I can. What's happening if you don't have a personal prayer time where you've carved out daily time of just talking to God about what's really going on in your life, you, and when I do it, I am handicapping God's ability to work in my life. I've stopped talking. And that's why prayer, over time, is the tool for dealing with doubt. You're struggling right now, you're wondering, start talking to God and see if it doesn't make a difference. Why don't you grab out your Connect card, and let's actually put some of these steps in place, all right? I'm going to give you a chance right now, if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, to accept him as your Lord and Savior for the very first time. What this means is you're going to declare what the Bible already says about you, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You're not just a guy who needs some advice, a woman who needs a little bit of encouragement. No, we need a Savior. And you can put your faith and trust in Jesus simply the way the Bible says to do it. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and ask God to forgive your sins and then commit to the best of your ability and as he'll lead to let him be the leader of your life. So we say on Next Step A today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. I ask you to, if you want to do this, check the box. When the card comes, offering buckets come by at the end of our service, you drop the card in there. We'll communicate with you about what that means, about what the power of that decision is and you're not joining our church or committing to anything. We simply want to explain to you what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. Or next step B, you want to make a decision today to get baptized, or perhaps you're almost there, you just need to have somebody to talk to. Check the box, put it in the offering bucket when it comes by, and we'll communicate with you. you get an email, and we'll give you a chance to ask your questions or get you signed up. Next step C is the easiest one. It's, I want to join a 4C small group this fall. So you simply write the number of the small group from the catalog right there at next step C. A big number sign and the number, so it's like L-U-O-1 or whatever it is, 8, nine, ten of them. And that's it, you're in. And we'll send you the information. All you have to do is show up, all right? You get everything you need in an email. Next step, D. Last week, I talked to you about the fact that we are ramping up for a new hire in January. and To be ready for that, we have to make sure we have enough people serving in 4C Kids. We want to establish a faith in them so deep that when they face doubt, they're confident that God's with them in the middle of it. And you can help us do that by committing to serve four times over the next 12 weeks between now and Christmas, at a schedule that's convenient with you, you don't have to know anything, you just show up, we partner with somebody else who's already doing it, you're never alone, but you can help us dramatically make sure that we're ready come January for our new hire and for catapulting growth in that ministry. And then finally, for all of us daughters in the room, how about next step B? I'm gonna memorize Mark chapter nine, verse 24, the second part. It's my life verse in the middle of my struggles. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now if you'll check that box, I'll send this verse to you in an email. And I'll pray for you all week long that the truth of what is in this man's heart and the reality that happens when we reach out to Jesus in honest conversation will become true for you even as it's true for me. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that our doubt doesn't in and of itself distance us from you. I want to thank you that you are greater than our doubt. I want to thank you that you are always there. Lord, Right now, I lift up to you those people that are declaring, Jesus, save me. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I pray for our children's ministry that you would help us create an anchor in their soul so deep that no matter how far they go away, they can never go so far away that you and your word cannot reach them. And Lord, I want to pray for the doubters and the hurting in this room today that we would wrap our energies around conversation with you in prayer. We wouldn't outsource it. We wouldn't delay, but we'd start talking to you. And in talking to you, we would find the God who really is already there. And Lord, as we take communion today, I pray that we would feast on the grace and love that you offer. Whatever we need, God, I pray for you to nourish our souls today. We pray this in Jesus' name, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.